your way back to your seats if you'll remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Our passage this morning is going to be uh, this in the book of Psalms, number 123. It's entitled, Our Eyes Look to the Lord Our God, a Song of Ascents. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Amen. You may be blessed by the reading of God's Word. You may be seated this morning. The title of this morning's message is Mercy, but you could also, uh, if you want to retitle the message, uh, Enough is Enough. There's another way we can title this morning's message. Anyone ever felt that way before? Like you just kind of had enough. Like get to that place in life and you just keep thinking to yourself, when will ever stop? Anyone ever came to that place before? And you, you may be here this morning, you're saying to yourself, man, enough is enough is enough. Well, that's what the psalmist is going to talk to us and teach us about this morning. But in regards to when those people around us keep casting out disparaging things to us. I don't know where you work or who you work with or the environment you work in. But is there ever a time in your day that you get home and you're driving home and you're like, gosh, I'm just grateful to be out of that oppressive place. Like the words that are being shared, the stories that are being shared, the thoughts that are being shared amongst colleagues, and you just get in your car, and and for me at least, I'll get in my car, and my first posture is to put my head on the steering wheel and just think, oh gosh, thank you Lord Jesus. Because I've just had enough, I've come to that point of the day that I'm like, I can't go on any longer. Because if I continue to be in that environment with those words and the things that are being said to me and about me, I might just explode. Anyone? I guess I'm again the only one that gets lonely up here at the pulpit. Well, this is what the psalmist is telling us this morning. That that the the psalmist and the people of God have gotten to that place of, man, the the words that are being shared about them, the the stones that are being thrown at them, they've just kind of had enough. Well, this morning we're going to look at three things. We're going to look at the proper posture when our life and the things around us, we've just had enough. We're going to look at a, a, the, the, the proper plea of when we had enough. And last but not least, we'll look at what is the plan for us? What's the proper plan for us when we've had enough? If you've been with us this summer, we're journeying through the Psalms of Ascent. Those are 15 Psalms that the people of God would, pr- would pray and to sing and talk about as they journeyed their way back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the holy city. This is where the people of God would go and worship God. They'd go and celebrate with each other and to the Lord. They'd make sacrifices three times a year. And these 15 psalms, they'd sing over one another and to one another as a reminder of all the goodness of God. And so here is one of the psalms we, we call a song of lament. And so they're lamenting on their way back to Jerusalem that what had been done to them. But as they're lamenting, they're also remembering the mercies of God. 
I think so often in my life, maybe in your life, we get to that boiling point and we've just come to the end of it and Satan is so crafty. When we get to the end of the day, to that boiling point, we forget the mercies of God. Right? We take our eyes off the Lord and we put our eyes onto our circumstances and we say to ourselves, if our circumstances would change, then I'd be more content. Well, the psalmist is going to tell us and going to make a plea to us, hey, where does our help come from? We looked at that a few weeks ago. Well, again, he says it this way. And so for us this morning, what is our proper posture when we've come to the end of ourselves? When we've come to that place in our lives, what's our posture to be? Let's read again what Jared read over us. He says, to to you, I... He says the word I, and then he goes on in the psalmist, psalms to talk about upon us, upon us. And he talks about the we. He's moving from a singular person to the corporate body of believers. So the first proper posture that we must have is this, that we have to remember we are not alone in the journey that God has placed us on. So often what Satan wants to do is he wants to tell us, you're alone. You're the only one dealing with this content, contentment. Anyone ever felt like this? I, I just feel so alone. Like I must be the only one going through this. Right? And so what happens is we get drawn out of community into isolation. And then we get into that headspace that says, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. And what the psalmist is saying to us, the first point is the proper posture is to remember that you're not alone. How often we come here into the people of God, the church of God, and we say to one another, like, who knows what's going on on your drive to the car, from your car, from the house to here in the drive. But we come in here and there's all this stuff going on and we get to that plane, enough is enough. But the moment we walk through that back door, we put on our Sunday morning mask. Oh, I'm fine. Oh, I'm good. Oh, it's been a good week. It's been a great morning, which isn't true at all. And Paul addresses this to us. What does it mean for us to be the church? What does it mean for us to not be alone? What does it mean for us to live in community with one another. Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. He's talking about sin in verse 1, and then in verse 2, he, talk, he shares this. He says, bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So a proper posture for us, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, is God is calling us that when we've had enough, that we put that burden and we share it with other people. You see, when I share my burdens, when I share I've had enough with other people, God's word says this, we've fulfilled the law of Christ. You see, church is way more than a building. Church is way more than these four walls, these 25 pews, this brown carpet, this pulpit, this microphone. The church is the people of God carrying the weight of one another to fulfill the law of Christ. And yet so often we don't live that way. We don't live carrying one another's burdens. We must be the church. Turn over to Acts chapter 2. 
This is the very beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. Right? The, the day of Pentecost comes, Peter raised it up, he preaches this powerful message, and then the church of Jesus Christ, that day really begins to happen. It's a very familiar passage. It's talking about fellowship, and it says this. There's this key verse I want to highlight in this passage about a proper posture when it comes to we've had enough. And they devoted themselves, this is the church, the people of God, the church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And all came upon every soul in the church. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and all things in common, highlight that in your Bible, they had everything in common. That means even their burdens were in common. How do we know that? It says it, verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the, the proceeds to all as they had need. You see, the people of God and the early church believed that they were a needy people. And in their need, they'd go to one another and express their need to one another. And expressing their need to one another, the church of God began to supply the needs of the people. Now, this is material needs. But I think we can extrapolate this and say to us, the church, it's not just our material needs that must be met. Our spiritual needs must be met. And our emotional needs must be met. But there's only one way for those needs to be met. It's through what the Bible talks about, confession. Do we, church, live a lifestyle with one another as confessional people? Do we confess our needs to one another? You know, I've heard a lot of stories about how this church, and we're here today celebrating homecoming, over 140 years that this church has been at this piece of property celebrating the things of God. And I've heard over the two years that I've been here that there was often times in the past that the people of God in Powell's Chapel would express their needs and those needs were met. And that the people of God would see the needs of the community and the people of God, Powell's Chapel, would go and meet those needs. You see, this church was built on a proper posture. A needy people. The whole reason the church here at Powell's Chapel got started was because this community needed a church. And that group of people on the, the, the plaque out front as you leave here, those people knew their need of a church and they expressed their need and their desire to have a church. And so for us, Powell's Chapel, how in 140 years have we gotten away from how needy we are? We need one another. We need each other to bear one another's burdens. You know, the psalmist writes, I believe the psalmist is writing this in a way that he's sharing about their contempt, about being made fun of, about being teased, about all the things that when the church, when this psalmist, the people of God, began to stand for God, the contempt of outsiders began to be hurled against them. 
And I was wondering to myself about us here at Powell's Chapel. Are we just coasting in easy street because we're not making any ripples in our community? Are we not standing on the gospel? And when you stand on the gospel, the gospel is super offensive. Do we know that? Do we realize that the gospel of Jesus Christ to an unbelieving world is super offensive? Right, because the, 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 the Bible says to us, there's ways that we need to live to be the people of God. And when we, the church, really begin to live the way that God's taught us to live, then we're going to be offensive to people. And when we become offensive to people, the, the comments are going to start flying our way. And I just wonder, are we just in easy street? You see, the people of God, they were not on easy street. I believe that this psalm comes right out of the people of God from Nehemiah chapter 4. Remember, a few months ago, we taught on Nehemiah chapter 4. Remember, Nehemiah had a, a heart for his city, right? And his heart for his city took him back to Jerusalem. When he got to Jerusalem, he saw the walls of, of Jerusalem. They were broken, and there was no place for the people of God to worship. And so in his broken heart, he decided, hey, we need a place for the people of God to worship. So we need to resurrect the walls to have a safe place to go worship God. And his heart is just broken. And you remember the story in Nehemiah chapter 4. They begin to rebuild the wall. And then there's these three guys, two in particular, come and they begin to make fun of the people of God. Remember some of their comments that they said. One of the men says, what are they building? If even a fox climbed upon it, would it not break down the walls on the stone? They're, they're making fun of, hey, here's the people of God building this wall up, and they can't even build it strong enough to hold a fox. You see, they wanted to discourage the people of God. And then another one said this, what are those feeble Jews doing? Another one said, will they really restore the walls? Will they really finish in one day? Can they bring these stones back to life? Those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Can they really rebuild the wall? You see, those two men wanted to discourage the people of God from rebuilding the city so that the people of God would have no place to go and to worship. You see, they knew that if the people of God rebuilt the wall of God, the city of God, that the people would go and find joy and holiness and contentment and peace as they worship God. And so the enemy, Satan, said, let's distract them from rebuilding the wall. So my question is to you and to me and what we must look at Nehemiah, we must look at this passage when is the last time that you faced contentment? When you stood for something that the Lord Jesus called you to stand for and then the stones began to be hurled at you or me. When's the last time we took a stand for something that we believe to be gospel-centered? You see, the psalmist says this, and I wonder for us, and I wonder for myself in those moments when, when, I, when those stones came, what was my response? You know, did I, did I buckle under the pressure? Did I get to that point, enough is enough, and so I just stopped. 
I said, I, I don't want the stones any longer. So instead of pressing forward, I just stepped back. I just took it into my own hands. I know how to get things to stop being hurled at me. Stop telling the truth. Just blend in with the crowd. But that's not what the psalmist calls us to do. He says this in verse 2 and 3. So our eyes look to the Lord, the Lord our God, till he has mercy on us. Verse 3, have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough contempt. You see, a proper posture is to know that we're in community first and foremost, and that we have a cry out to the Lord Jesus. You see, but so often, when those stones come, we backpedal. We don't press forward. We don't press forward and say to God, I, I've had enough, but man, I'll keep on going. You see, what the psalmist is telling us, cry out to God. And what are we crying out for? We're crying out for His mercy. Like, I'm going to keep pressing forward, and I'm going to cry out to God, but God, as I press forward, I need your mercy. You know what the word mercy means here in the Hebrew? It means to have favor or to have compassion. And so God, the people of God are crying out to God, God, give us favor as we press forward, and give us compassion as we press forward. And then he says this to us. And so where do we look for mercy? And where do we look for compassion? And where do we look for favor? He says it in verse 1. I lift my eyes to you, O God. And I wonder for me in my own life, how often my eyes don't look upward, but they look outward. I don't look to the Lord, I look to my circumstance and I think to myself, if just my circumstances will change, then my reality will change. And if my reality changes, then I'll have peace. Then I'll have joy. Then I'll have you fill in the blank. But the psalmist says, no, no. When at all we've had enough, we look upward for God's mercy. You see, and not only do we look upward for God's mercy. That's our proper posture. We look upward, not outward. And so he says this. Look to, we take our eyes to the Lord our God till he has given us mercy. We have mercy upon us, O Lord. Upon us, we have found more than enough content. We've had enough. So we look to the Lord first and foremost. And then the second thing is this. Our proper posture is this. We must have proper dependence. Not only do we have proper uh, dependence on the Lord, but now out of our proper dependence on the Lord, our proper dependence will lead to this third point, which is we'll have proper obedience. You see, that's what verse 2 is all about. Verse 2 says this, Behold, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress. And we may sit here and think, what, what is this verse talking about? Well, it's talking about slaves. It's talking about servants. And in our context, slaves are not, good, are not good. We're beyond that. But in this context, slaves were an important part of society. 
And so what would happen is the slave or the maidservant would sit in the corner and with his arms folded, waiting to see what the master was going to do. And so it says, as the, the servant or the maidservant looks, where? To the hand of the master. And so the servants would be in the corner, out of sight, looking intently on the master. His eyes, her eyes, would never leave the master. And all the master had to do was do one small hand gesture, and then the servant would respond. If the servant raised his hand a certain way, the, 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 the master raised his hand or her hand a certain way, the, the servant or the maidservant knew what it meant and would be obedient right off the bat. You see, the servants never took their eyes off their master. It's a beautiful metaphor for us today. You see, as much as we're the children of God, we're also, we do have a master, do we not? Is the Lord Jesus not our master? Therefore, we are his servants. And yet I wonder how often we are waiting on God and our eyes are everywhere but the master. They're, they're looking everywhere externally. They're looking at all of our circumstances. But what the psalmist says is we are the servants of God and our eyes must be fixated on the master. And if the master moves, then we, because we're dependent on him, will respond with proper obedience. And I wonder for me and I wonder for you, I wonder for us as a church, how often God has called us to do something and we've missed it because our eyes weren't on the master. You know, we all want relief when we've had enough, correct? Like, we, want, we are relief-seeking creatures. Like, we all want relief. And what the psalmist is telling us, if you want relief, relief comes in only one place. It's if your eyes have to be fixated on the master. And when the master tells us to move, we are obedient. And I don't know about you. But there's been often times in my life that my eyes have been fixated on the master and he's called me to obedience and I did not want to obey. Like, man, he's called me to do some hard things. He, he, I'm saying, I want relief, I want relief, I want dependence. And he says, obey this way. And I think, oh man, I cannot obey that way. I, I take things into my own hands. But see, if I really believe in a proper dependence on the Lord, then my proper dependency will always move me into proper obedience. And so if I'm not obeying God, I've got to ask myself, you have to ask yourself this question, am I totally dependent on God? Am I totally dependent? Not 90%, not 80%, am I 100% dependent on God? Because if I'm 100% dependent on Him, then I'll I'll have 100% obedience to him. And the psalmist goes on and says this. Not only do we need a proper posture, but we must have a proper plea. What is our plea when we've had enough? The psalmist tells us in verse 3. This is our plea when we've had enough. Have mercy upon us oh lord have mercy upon us for we've had more than enough contempt he says it again in verse two so our eyes look to the lord our god 
till he has mercy upon us. A proper plea must look in these two ways. The first thing is this. A proper plea must come out of healthy humility. See, if I have a proper plea, then I understand in my humility who I need to go to. See, my humility says I don't have the answers. And I need someone that has the answers. I need someone that has the mercy. I need someone that has the kindness. I need someone to get me out of the mess that I'm in. I need someone to get me out of this chaos. And so he humbly comes, he lowers himself to say, I don't have it, but there is one who does. And who is it? It's the Lord. It's not your wife, it's not your kids, it's not your husband, it's not your boss. It's the Lord. He humbled himself under the mighty hand of the Lord and says in here, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Not O job, not O wife, not O kids, not O car. Not O'Charlie's. I just said that because it's O'Charlie's. See if people are still sleeping. He says, I have a dependence on the Lord. And in my dependence, I'm going to humble myself under God's mighty hand. But not only does he have a healthy dependence and a healthy humility, he also has what we would call a healthy boldness. What does he say? How do we know he's got not only humility, but a boldness? It says this. Have mercy on us. We'll look to you, O Lord, till he has mercy upon us. That that takes great boldness. He's saying out loud, I'm going nowhere until God showers me with mercy. That's a bold statement to say to God. God, I'm not moving until you do something for me. That takes great boldness. We see that in the story in Genesis chapter 32. Verses 22 through 32. This is, you can turn there really quickly. This is where Jacob wrestles with the Lord. Verse 22 says this, that, that same night he arose, he took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 children crossed the, the ford uh, of the river and he took with them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had so he's alone he sends everyone away he's alone in this pasture if you will and then jacob was left alone and then a man wrestled with him until daybreak when the man saw that he did not prevail against jacob he touched his hip socket and jacob's hip was put out of place as he wrestled with him. And he continued to wrestle with him. And he continued to prevail. And he continued to cry out to this man. Who are you? Who are you? You see this man said. I- I'm not giving up. Jacob said. I'm not giving up. To the blessings of the Lord are put upon me. That takes great boldness. And I wonder for us. How often. We come to the Lord. And we plead for mercy. And yet then we don't have the boldness. To continue to plea for it. Because the wrestling with the Lord is not easy. Is it? Anyone ever wrestle with the Lord emotionally, spiritually? It's exhausting. And I wonder for us, and our plea for deliverance, when we've had enough, do we shirk on our boldness? 
Do we just kind of give up? Okay. But you and I are called to have great boldness. We continue to go to the Lord over and over and over and over and with great boldness say, I'm not giving up until I receive your mercy. You see, I think it goes right into the last one. It goes into we must always have a proper plan. You see, because if we don't have a proper plan, when, when it gets hard, when it gets tough, when we want to give up, we'll give up if we don't remember the plan that God's placed for us. And what is the plan? Our answer is always in the first verse. You see, the way the, psalm wrote, the psalmist wrote this psalm is he gives us the answer first, and then he steps out and shows us what's going on. We could really see this in most uh, uh, texts that this would be the last verse rather than the first verse. But the way the psalmist wrote this, this is the first verse. But the psalmist had a plan. And his plan was this. I will lift my eyes to the Lord who is enthroned in the heavens. He's saying all the chaos and all the contentment and all that I face, I'll have a plan and my plan is always to go to the Lord. And I wonder for us, What's our plan? Is it to go to the Lord? Is it to go to the Lord when it gets tough? Is it to go to the Lord when our circumstances are overwhelming? Or do we get our own best answers? Because our own best answers often happen quicker than the Lord's answers. Anyone ever experienced that? Like we get relief quicker on our own than if we really do, depending on the Lord. Historically, that's how it's happened for me. So I want to remind us of three things. As we run to the Lord and we lift our eyes to the Lord, who's enthroned in the heavens, I want us to remember these three things about the Lord. There's a thousand and one things about the Lord, but I think in particular for us this morning, these three things we must remember. The first one is this. The Lord, he never changes. Like, he never changes. Like, he, he doesn't have personality swings. Like, he doesn't wake up on the wrong side or the right side of the bed. Like, he never changes. It says here, he's always on his throne. Isn't that what it says? He says, to you I lift my eyes, O Lord, who is enthroned in the heavens. He is always ruling and supreme over all things. You see, when it gets chaotic for him, he doesn't scour about looking for answers. No, he sits sovereignly in control of all things. We have a sovereign God. And yet Satan wants to say, oh, no, you don't. He's not really in control. He doesn't really have it all together. He doesn't really care about you. He really doesn't know what's happening. He's just kind of sitting there, kind of doing his thing. And yet the word of God says, no, he's never changing. That's the first thing. Here's the second thing we must remember. That God, he is always changing us. Like he never changes. But the word of God says he is for our sanctification our sanctification is the ongoing 
process of us becoming more and more and more like him. So all that we face, all the contentment we face, is for our good and for our change to become more like him. And so when we ask the question, what is this happening to me for? It's for one reason and one reason only. For your sanctification. God is wanting to do something in you to change you to become more like him. That's true for me. I don't like sanctification. I hate the process of sanctification. I'd rather get justified and then go into glorification. But that's not the reality. That's not how it happens. God is in the business of changing us. He's purging sin out of us. You and I will do that now from the day of accepting Christ all the way to our last breath. The Lord God is always changing us. And here's the last one. God's word tells us this. He is always deepening our joy. You see, joy and happiness are different. You see, happiness is based on our circumstances. But joy is based on the reality of who Jesus Christ is. And so if I can place my hope and my joy in Him, then even in the difficult circumstances, even when I've had enough, God is using that to deepen my joy and my dependence on Him. And I know for us, for me at least, this process of receiving God's mercy, I hate. But do you and I, do we first have a proper posture? A proper dependence and an expedient obedience. The second thing is, do we have a proper plea? Are we crying out to God in humility and boldness for His mercy? And the last one is this. Do we have a proper plan? Like as you leave here this morning, is your plan to stay focused on the Lord Jesus no matter what you are facing when you leave here today? Because we got to remember, God never changes. He's always changing us, and it's always for our joy. Let us pray. God, the question for all of us here this morning is this. When we've had enough, where do our eyes look to? God, I'm so grateful that you sit sovereign and in control of all things on your throne this very moment. And you never change. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful, God, that in spite of all that's going on around me and in me and through me, God, it's for one purpose. It's for my sanctification. And I don't always like it, God. But I'm so grateful you have not left me the same as when you first found me. I pray that for every one of us in the room, God. Because out of that, God, we will have a deep joy for you. A deep place of gratitude for you. And we're not the same men and the same woman where you first found us. In the mire and in the muck and in the clay, when you reached down and pulled us out, you've been in the process of cleaning us off. God this morning as we're here and I know this passage is about contentment
And I pray if there's any place in our lives that we feel this way, whether it's our job and our home and our relationship with our spouse, with our children, with the church. God, I pray that we would look to you. To you, I lift up my eyes. Oh, you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master and the eyes of the maidservant to the hand of our mistress. So our eyes look to you, the Lord our God, till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have more than enough contempt. Our souls have had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. God, we look to you and to you alone. Our circumstances may never change. But God, we can rest in this fact that you never change and it's for our good. And I pray today, God, as we leave here, we would deepen our joy for you. Deepen our heart's desire for you. Lead us and guide us. Allow us to know these truths that you are great and good and masterful. King of the universe humbly come and we surrender to you, Jesus. We pray this in the mighty name of Christ Jesus.